great weekend. Just to add my two cents of affirmation of how awesome yesterday was, being out at Hidden Falls Ranch for everybody that was there. Just whenever we do something like that, a lot of us just come away going, we need to do things like that more. And so just thank you for participating in that. It was really wonderful. And, and getting to know new people, it, it has to be done intentionally or it doesn't happen. But even sitting down with people you do know, but you just don't have opportunity to sit down with. That happened a lot yesterday too, and I was really grateful for that. I've already neglected this year, we're already to February, uh, highlighting and keeping in front of you our goal for this year, this Accelerate theme where we, we want every single person in this church to go on some kind of spiritual retreat this year. I've already talked to one of my older sisters, who's already, she's already signed up and gone, and she's going to go to two more. And I've talked to a brother who's going this weekend. And so I'm very excited that a lot of you have already made plans. You've calendar. It's something you've got to put in your calendar. You have to be as intentional about it as anything else or it will not happen. And so we have that list of accelerator events, all different kinds and different spots throughout the year that's getting updated regularly. And so you can go online and see that or you can get a hard copy over at Small Group Central. And I also wanted to let you know, in two weeks from today, we're having our next starting point class. So if you're a new member here and have not attended that class, I encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. Or if you are our guest, I got to meet a couple of those yesterday. And if you're our guest, we'd love for you to come as well. So I do this class. It, it begins at 9.30 on Sunday morning. Then we come in here and worship with the body. Then we feed you a great lunch. We've got loving child care for you. And we spend a couple more hours together where I just give you kind of the lay of the land, our church history, our family, our vision, our mission, and, and how you can start with us, how you can join us. I was telling someone yesterday, it is brave when somebody visits a church. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, it's brave to go into somebody else's living room. And so if you're our guest, we just honor that and acknowledge that. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to discover if this is where God's placing you, if this family is supposed to be yours and you're supposed to be ours. So uh, we are eager to do that. So if you'd like to join me that day, I'd love for you to to sign up. You can do that online, or you can just indicate in that card that's uh, on the on the pew seat behind you, and just put that in the kiosk, and we'll we'll get con- we'll contact you and let you know that you're in. All right. So in our current series on the Sermon on the Mount, we are taking our time to honor the what Jesus might have meant in his first eight or so sentences. They have a name. They're called the Beatitudes. And last week we dove into the Beatitude that I consider, the third one, that I consider one of the most difficult to grasp. Uh, But this week we consider one that I think perhaps is the simplest to grasp. It's not easy. It's not easy teaching. It's challenging, but it is uh, the easiest to understand, I believe, because the words have not lost their meaning for the most part for us, even with 2,000 years from when they were spoken. So it's in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we all know what hunger and thirst is, at least physically, we know what it means. Hunger is the body's alarm system, letting us know we need food. Thirst is the body letting you know you need water. And we've all felt that. And they're not pleasant feelings, and they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to get your attention. 
It's your body letting you know. And, and usually, whenever we feel even the first pangs of hunger or the first pangs of thirst, we will address it. We will, usually, we will address it. Sometimes we get busy and things like that, but they are something that we want to take care of. We want to satisfy that hunger. We want to quench that thirst. And it becomes top priority when we feel it, especially as that feeling advances. And that's not to say we can't push through those feelings, right, and neglect quenching thirst or neglect satisfying that hunger for a bit. But eventually, we can't do it long before eventually it, it becomes consuming. And it becomes something that, uh, that you become obsessed about. Not many of us ever get to that point of hunger or thirst. But if you were to try to push it down for a while before long, it would take over to where it would be all you would think about. It's the only thing you'd be thinking about. That's how powerful hunger and thirst can be. Now, most of us never get to that point. We never get to that point. In the land we live in, the way we live, uh, we're never at that kind of desperation, not even for one day. As a matter of fact, we actually organize our days around making sure that doesn't happen, right? Most of us plan lunch time. We don't even have to feel hunger. We're doing it. We're doing it. It's just, we are going to preemptively take care of not having that unpleasant feeling. And, um, and, and oftentimes we, we have devices that sometimes we'll pay lots of money for to carry around with us to make sure we've got drinks. Some of you have it right now. There's not very much chance that you're going to actually feel real thirst. So what I'm pointing out here is that while we know what hunger and thirst are, very few of us in here know what it is to be really hungry, to be really thirsty. When my kids were little, I was remembering we were coming back from our annual trip with my in-laws up to Estes Park at the YMCA, and we were on our way back, and Jake, and he was pretty little, and so he was still in his car seat, and he was, he was just in the back just saying, Dad, I'm starving! Please stop. We get to a populated area. It was Trinidad. And we're going all the way through town. And he's like, please, Dad, stop. I'm hungry. And he sees just south of town, you know, there's a Wendy's right over there. He's like, he's like, literally goes, Wendy's, Wendy's. And he's in his little car seat going, please get Wendy's. Crying out to Wendy for his life. You know, so just so you know, we, I'm a good dad. We made it to Raton. He did not die. We had Subway there. It was fine. So, uh, you know, he probably wasn't really starving, right? That wasn't, a, that's not a frequent thing. So, so I, I, I'm just saying that we know what hunger and thirst is, but his first century listeners would have been a little more familiar with the intensity of the imagery that he was pulling on. And I'm wanting you to imagine that. Uh, one of the commentaries I read said first century Palestine um, that a working man's, just the middle, middle class, is not really middle class for them, but a working man, his day's wages would have been pennies a day by our standards. And even accounting for the, you know, the cost of living differences over 2,000 years, no one was getting fat on that money. No one was doing that. We have plenty. We have plenty. They had meat once a week. They, and if, if they were, they never planned on more than once a week where they would have meat. I, I don't know that I'd go any day without meat. And uh, 
the larger the family unit, the more that working family lived on this borderline of hunger and starvation. You know, so, so they would have felt some intensity to these words a little bit more than us. And I'm wanting you to adopt that here because I believe that's what he was intending. You might have a unique memory sometime when you found yourself in a situation where water was scarce or food. I, I had it happen. I got injured in the canyon all by myself on a Monday, hadn't seen anybody. And I had to get out of there and it was hot and I had limited amount of water and it was a little scary. But other than maybe a little, little moment of intensity in your life, we aren't necessarily grasping. And I want you to use your imagination and hear that. So with that in mind, we can move on from the hunger and thirst to what he's talking about here. He does not, he's not simply talking about hunger and thirst. Luke's beatitude list, it, he only mentions hunger and he does not add any like what you're hungry for. But in Matthew's accounting, Jesus answers the question of the blessed life is for those who are hungry and thirsting for something, and that's righteousness. So we've got to pause and ask, what is righteousness? You probably have a general idea. It's not as hard for us to engage with accurately, even if we don't have a specific definition than, than meek. Meek, we, I think we have to really work hard to get out of our current cultural understanding. But righteousness, I've told you many times that whenever you read righteousness in Scripture, there's two uses of the word righteousness, I've noticed and studied. And um, even when you get the wrong one, like the different one, it still works. Like it still, it still is appropriate. Even It's important to know what's being talked about whenever it's used, but I've tested it. Every time I read righteousness, I go, does each one, it, it's still true. So that's, that's interesting. But when you hear the word righteousness in scripture, there's two uses that I've taught you that you can think about. One is relational rightness, just rightness with God, right? Like relationally, just, you, just, you want to be right with God. Um, best I can explain that is if, if Carrie and I aren't right, like if there's something we have not resolved, something that we've gotten in about, I, I just, I can't leave the house. Not until we're right. I just, I'm not going to feel okay about that. So that's one use of the word righteousness. Okay. It's just this, you want to be right with God. The second one, which is probably the most frequent use of the word righteousness is just living rightly. Okay. Living in the way that God has designed for you to live. He's called for you to live, but he's designed you to live that way. It's the best possible life. It's the Christ-like life. Whenever we're talking about that, we're talking about right living. That's righteousness. So I found this week, I found a third usage of righteousness in Scripture from a a commentary that I've never looked at on this subject, and I read about five or so this week on this. And they pointed out, that occasionally righteousness is talking about um, like the writing of everything. That righteousness, the desire for righteousness is not just being right with God and it's not just living rightly. It's not just about you. It's also for the world. Like you want the world to be right. Does that make sense? You just want everything to be right. Just, you know, we look at what's on the news. We feel what stirs up with us politically. We see what happens between nations, right? We, just in the world, creation. We want everything to be right in 
creation. We want everything to be right, not just for us and God, but for us and everyone, and everyone and everyone. And, and so the best way to think about this, this commentator said is, it's a big word. He says eschatologically. That's just the $20 word for end times. Like it's what we all, I think, generally think of when everything ends, however that happens, God's going to make everything right. Everything new, everything that's broken is going to be mended. It's going to be renewed. He'll make things new. Everything that's hurting will be healed. Every wound will be healed. So, So righteousness, I'm going to suggest to you for this morning that we think of all three of these things. When we hear Jesus say, you're blessed, you're fortunate, you're privileged. If you hunger and thirst, remember, dial up the intensity, Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you, you hunger and thirst for it to be right. You can't leave the house until it's right between you and God. You, you hunger and thirst to live rightly. You don't always get it right, but the desire's there. You thirst for it. You hunger for it. You want to get it right. You want to live like Christ. because Not because out of some duty. You know, not, not out of some obligation in order to get to heaven. That's not it. Because you know it's the best possible way to live. You trust him in that. That he designed you for a certain way. And not only that, you, your heart desires for it to be like that for everyone. And everything. Turn up the intensity. He's saying, blessed are you if you have that in you. If you desire that. If you hunger and thirst for that. Now, at this point, I want to do something we haven't done with the Beatitudes yet, and that's back off of them and look at all of them briefly and just see the structure. You know, it's written as a poem. These Beatitudes are written, they have a structure to them. And so there's value in each one, and then there's value in all of them. And so there are two sets of four. Righteousness gets mentioned in the fourth one in each set, okay? So this is kind of... The thing, this is the kingdom thing, is righteousness, wanting this, longing for this, becoming a catalyst of this. And so you see in the first three, these blessednesses are for, I just made that up, I like it. Blessednesses are for those who are emptying themselves, who are kind of, uh, well, emptying themselves. (laughs) And so they're the poor in spirit, right? Those at the end of their rope. It's those who mourn, those who are sad, or for some reason blessed. That sounds like the most ridiculous thing ever, but, he, but you got to stay with him. And then the meek. So it's like the broken, the, the grieving, the surrendered person. Okay? And then we get here, that as kingdom people, sufficiently emptied of all the hopes that the world offers, of all the treasures that the world traps us with, all the power structures that that the world puts into us and says this is how you succeed, we now hunger and thirst for something other than the world. And it's this righteousness, this, these kingdom things. We want a different world order in everyone and in us. And so then we move on, and the next three describe a certain kind of person, totally different than the first three, okay? Merciful people. Pure in heart people and peacemaking people. And I love this because this fits back really well with our definition for righteousness. 
right? Being right with God, that's not something you earn. That's not something you get up and you do well enough today and everything's great with God. That's something granted. We know the gospel, right? This Jesus who's teaching this, he's gonna die for us. We just celebrated that and rightness with God is going to be given as a gift through his mercy, right? And that makes us then merciful, mercy full. And, then, and so that fits with that. And then living rightly, getting it right. That's, that is living in a way where our, our hearts get like filtered of everything that's impure. And we live like Christ. That's the pure in heart sort of way to live. We might mess up, but in ever-increasing measure, we're being transformed. Again, not, to, not so that we get the first one that we're right with God. No, it's because we've been, we've been made right with God. Spirit lives in there. And out of gratitude and wisdom, we work to live rightly. And part of our motivation to live rightly, it's not just for us. It's for the world. We want to be, and peacemakers fits with that, right? That's not, that's, yeah, we need to make peace in here, but we want to make peace on the earth. There's a reason that at the pageants, when, you know, the famous stereotypical highest desire, what would you like? World peace. There's a reason that's the answer. World be because something in us knows that is the highest possible like, thing to desire this side of heaven. So let it be here on earth as it is there. And so we become agents of that, catalysts of that, peacemakers. I just love when you dive into the structure. And just for completion's sake, at the end it says, if you do that, You become that. You empty yourself of the world and its ways. You become hungry and thirsty for these, for God's things, for good. Basically, that's what we're talking about. You want pure, unadulterated good. Then you become, because you desire that, you might move into becoming that in you and through you. And if you do, there's a telltale sign of it. And it's that last beatitude. You're going to be persecuted because of it. Isn't that, it's so ironic. Everything's upside down about the Beatitudes. It just totally explains it. Jesus, look, this is, I've come all the way from heaven to earth to explain this to you because it's just not normal. It's right and it's good. It's best. But the world has become contaminated. You know, it's become disoriented and you're a part of this world. And so I'm trying to save you from that and win you to the kingdom. So when you zoom back in then on this beatitude, uh, we know what righteousness is. If we hunger and thirst for that, the promise here is that we'll be filled. Okay, that we'll be filled. And I looked at the Greek word and what it means is to be filled. That's what it means. And so uh, I did like this word, so I wanted to put it up here because it sounds like something you would order at Taco Bell, chortazo. Yeah, can I have a chortazo? No lettuce, please. Extra cheese. Thank you. I don't think that's how you pronounce it. I think it's cortazo, but that doesn't sound like a Taco Bell. I thought that was funny. But anyway, cortazo (laughs) means filled but it's more than that. It is, as you would expect, it, it kind of has more packed into it. It's, it's like completely and totally satisfied. Like, 
it's even used in relation to gorging. Like there's enough for you to gorge on. And so you are going to be without question satisfied. That's the promise of this, that if you hunger and thirst. So if you want that, if you want like the life that's right, full, satisfying, like there's plenty of this. I, I'll never run out. And no matter what happens, what circumstances, what comes my way, but there's this access to a, a feast. If you want that, ironically, it's not by getting it. It's by hungering and thirsting for it. This sounds counterintuitive because if you hunger and thirst for living rightly, how many of us are going to attain it? If we hunger and thirst for the world to be right, everything to be right, how far are we from that? It sounds like we're signing up for a life of pain and disappointment. That's why this is upside down. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. This longing for all of this is its own reward. We're a results-oriented country. That's why this is so countercultural. That's what he says. So the question for today then, with that intensity turned up, you're called to hunger and thirst for rightness between you and God, for you to live rightly, and for everything to just be no more heart issues no more cancer no more sudden brain bleeds no more airplanes falling out of the sky no more war no more racism no more issues between groups everything right no more debating what right is just Everything right. That, do you do that? Do you want rightness with God? Like above all else, intensity. Do you want rightness? Do you desire the life of God? Do you want to live rightly? There's a lot of perks. A lot of perks you might be attached to by not really living the pure life. You sure you want that? The Christ-like life? more than anything else do you long for this world around you the people the planet the relationships between nations between you and everyone to be at peace to be made right as a matter of desperate hunger and thirst do you want that your answer is probably yes but I want to finish just by giving one more shout out to the intensity that we're talking about here. So, so far I've just made the case that it's probably more intense than we understand because the hunger and thirst don't ring on our ears as much as they would have those first, but the text also contains the intensity. There's a, there's a rule of Greek grammar at play on this beatitude. I do not know Greek, but I read people who know Greek, so that's how I know this. And Greek words have these 
subtle differences. Same word, but they have different, is it, what's it called? Tenses or, is it tenses? Or, I can't, I don't know what it's called. Uh, cases. So usually the words hunger and thirst, they're almost always used for food. They're not usually used for righteousness. Jesus is borrowing on that imagery here to, to use here. But when it's used, it's used for food, and it's spoken in a way with a, in, a, in, the, in the genitive case. That means I, I, I want some food. I want some, some of that bread, or I need some of that bread, or I need a drink of that water. There's another way to... Uh, another case, I think it's called affinitive, no, accusative. <laughs> affinitive is probably not one. Don't make fun of me, Greek scholars watching online. Accusative case. That would mean um, I want the whole loaf. I need the whole loaf. I don't need some of the bread. I need the whole thing. I don't need a drink of that water. I need the whole tank. And it's very rare for this to be used with these words, hunger and thirst, but they are used here. So baked into this is this intensity. And so it can rightly be said this way, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the whole of righteousness, for all of it, for total righteousness, for complete rightness, righteousness in me, around me, in every relationship, in every circumstance that exists, the ones I know about, the ones I don't, every personal feeling I have, every thought I have, every action I take, but every feeling and thought and action that is taken on the planet, the intensity is here in this. And far too many of us, now let's just bring it home, we don't live up to that. Me included. We don't have that kind of hunger and thirst for rightness with God. For We're grateful for Jesus making things right, typically. We, we want to live according to his way. You know, we want to. We want to do what's right. We want to do what's wrong, what's sinful, what's short of kingdom standards. We want that. I mean, I want things to go good in the world. I like positive news stories, you know? I mean, generally. But far too many of us just want some righteousness. We want some. Maybe we just want a piece of the kingdom bread. You know, the part that saves us when we die? That's enough. Maybe we just want a sip of the cup of water. You know, maybe just enough that keeps, keeps us from suffering too much while we wait for that kingdom that we have when we die. Oh, are you choosing too little? I am. I am. There's a legend. Well, let me ask our elders, and we're going to wrap up here, but our elders and ministers and their spouses go ahead and move around the room. They just, they do this little walk of shame that we make each other do so that you know they love you. And they, they want to be here for you if you have anything in, related to this or not that, that you need to talk about. But there's an old legend of a disciple of Jesus that came to Peter. And Peter, he wanted to learn what Peter had learned about the way of Christ. And he asked, so what, what do I need to do if I really want that 
abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us that he talked about in that Sermon on the Mount. And Peter takes him out into the sea and this disciple's probably thinking he's going to undergo some sort of baptism. And Peter takes him out there and he, he takes this young disciple and he holds him under the water. And he just holds him under the water with his strong hands. And so this disciple's under the water and gets a little bit uncomfortably long and you know he just kind of reminds him i'm here you know and he's not budging and and starts getting a little uncomfortable and so he starts you know nudging his leg saying hey remember i'm down here (laughs) and peter doesn't move and and it gets to the place where he's desperate for air and so he's fighting peter with all his might and of course out of that desperation he wins and he comes out (gasps) and he takes that breath of air that he now needed so desperately and Peter just asked, when you, when you thought you were going to drown, what is it you desired most? He said, air. I desired air. When you desire more than anything else in the world, Peter says. When you desire more than anything else in the world, not content with only partial discipleship, but full discipleship. When you desire the full kingdom. When you don't want just partial righteousness, but all righteousness, total righteousness for you and for in you and through you and for everything, then you will experience the fullest possible life. It's so counterintuitive because hunger and thirst are not pleasant feelings for our physical bodies. But he says, trust me, go all the way with this. Let what breaks my father's heart break yours there is a joy that only resides there and it is yours if you will take it will you will you hunger and thirst for righteousness let's commit to this thirst for god together let's flare it up in each other constantly and let's do it right now in song and tell him this is what we want to do let's stand and if we can help you in any way please come